بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الحمد لله نحمده تعالى ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله وبعد So today is our sixth sitting on this topic of the of how to remedy the tight and heavy chest. Again, let's have a recap, a quick recap of our previous lesson. So if it's the case that this nur enters into your chest, the nur of Iman, what does it do? What does Sheikh Muhammad Imam al-Jami say? <coughs> no? Exactly. If the nur enters into your chest and thus your chest it expands, the dunya it becomes insignificant. Problems of the dunya, lists of the dunya, it becomes insignificant. You become indifferent towards it. Indifferent towards the dunya. Whether it's its bliss or its toils and its pains and its labor. And then he made a mention that this is the characteristic of the Muslihin. This is the characteristic of those who bring about Islah. Those who bring about rectification in society. The scholars, the prophets, the inheritors of the prophets, i.e. the scholars. You find that even though they may undergo pain and toil and labor and hardship and difficulty, still you find them living a life of surur, living a life of happiness, of tranquility. And then he makes a mention of a certain scholar. Who was that scholar that he made a mention of? Yeah, one of the kids. Uh, Abdurrahman. Abdurrahman, yeah? Is it Abdurrahman Abdurrahim? Abdurrahim. Do you remember which scholar was mentioned? He had a very tough life, very hard life. He's, actu he's actually the teacher of the person who wrote this. Okay, so Abdurrahim is going to pass it on to somebody else? Who are you going to pass it on to Abdurrahim? Choose another boy. Not a man, a boy. That doesn't have a beard. Huh? Who? This boy here? This one over there? What's your name, son? Rehan. Rehan, do you remember? Were you here last week, Rehan? Were you here last week? Okay, do you remember which sheikh we talked about? He had a very tough life, but whenever people would look at him, he would have a nice gleam on his face. Do you remember which sheikh it was? Uh, Isa. Ibn Taymiyyah, rahimahullah. So Sheikh al-Islam Ibn Taymiyyah, rahimahullah ta'ala, he had a very tough life, a hard life, imprisoned. Several times he was imprisoned. He died in while he was in a state of imprisonment. But in spite of that, he had a nice, happy outlook towards this life. Ibn al-Qaim says that you could see the radiance and the gleam of happiness gleaming on his face. What are some of the statements that we can uh, remember from last week's lesson? Statements of Ibn Taymiyyah that 
show us the type of mindset, the type of attitude that he had. And that in reality, even though he went through problems, we go through big problems. A bill comes through from Eon, a bill comes through from Talk Talk, a bill comes through from United Utilities, or one of those companies. Big problem, you sit down, the wife goes, you know, what's wrong with you? He said, big bills come through. Ibn Taymiyyah rahimahu ta'ala, not bill problems, he had problems, physical problems. Intimidation, arrest, imprisonment, all of these big problems, yet the signs of, of happiness, you could see it radiating and gleaming on his face. Can anybody remember a statement that Sheikh Muhammad Iman al-Jami was uh, quoting from Ibn Taymiyyah? Anybody besides Adam? Ah. He's actually talking about the zahir of, the, of, the, of his statement. So you're right there. So he, uh, Abdul Ghani, sah? Ammar. Starts with the Ain. Huh? <laughs> so you're right. Ibn Taymiyyah, he says that if I was to sacrifice gold and give gold in charity, gold to the people that have imprisoned me, right? What he's talking about, what's apparent is that he's saying, if I was to give gold to these, to these people that, that have imprisoned me, that would not equal the gratitude that I wish to give to them for what they've been instrumental in, in bringing about happiness to me. Why? Because I'm in this prison now and I'm in a state of happiness. What does Ibn, Ibn Taymiyyah say specifically about what his enemies can do to him? Okay. That's something else. Okay, that's that. We, we'll get there. That's another statement. Okay, so he makes Ibn Taymiyyah makes a statement. This statement uh, of his, uh, no, sorry, it's the right statement. Sorry, it's the right. So in 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 Najanati wa Bustani fi Sadri, aywa. Adaibi. In Habsi. Wa qatli, wa qatli shahada. So Ibn Taymiyyah, he says that indeed, what is it that my enemies can do to me? What is it that my enemies can do to me? Me being imprisoned, that's a form of seclusion for me. I can be alone with Allah, remember my Lord, get close to my Lord, pray to my Lord. What is it that my enemies can do to me? They've got nothing other than three options. There's no fourth option. Three options. One, they can imprison me. Get me, arrest me, confine me, put me in prison. Okay? But even still, I'm in prison. But I'm alone with Allah. Nobody is there, no distractions. I can concentrate on worshipping Allah. Or what my enemies could do is they could expel me and drive me out of my homeland. But then what's that? It's a form of tourism for me. I can go and visit another country, see another country and what have you. Thirdly, what my enemy could do to me is what? Kill me. Yeah, They could kill me. And if they kill me, and if a person dies for the sake of Allah, he dies in the cause of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then that death of his is a shahada, martyrdom. No other option. So this is the attitude that Ibn Taymiyyah he had. In spite of all the problems and the difficulties that he's going through, 
He says, what can they do to me? And then he says that indeed my, uh, he says, uh, in another place, that indeed my chest, or that my, uh, the exact statement, does anybody remember the exact statement? Ayywa, that's it. Inna fi dunya jannah. That in this dunya, there's a jannah. So Sheikh Muhammad Amman al-Jami, he also refers to it as well. In this dunya, there's a jannah. In this dunya, there's a paradise. Whoever doesn't enter into that jannah, he's not going to enter into the jannah of the afterlife. What's he referring to here? What's the jannah of this life that Ibn Taymiyyah is saying? If you don't enter into this jannah, you're not going to enter into the jannah of the afterlife. What's he referring to here? Jannah al-Tawheed, the Jannah of Tawheed, the Jannah of Iman, i.e. there is a ladha, there is a sweetness, there is a relishment that a person experiences when he engages in ta'ah, when he engages in worship, when he obeys Allah. Iman has a sweetness. And if it's the case that a person doesn't attain this sweetness, and as Ibn al-Qayyim, he says in other places, there is no mu'min except that he has a portion, except that he has tasted a portion of this sweetness, of this relishment, of this flavor of iman. There is no believer except that he's tasted this sweetness of iman to some degree, even if it may, even if it may, even if it may be a slight degree of sweetness. There's no believer except that he's tasted it. So there is no person who doesn't taste his sweetness in this life except that he won't enter into the Jannah of the afterlife. And that is where we stopped last week. That is where we stopped last week. So Ibn al-Qayyim ta'ala he then continues to say <coughs> About this nur. He says about this nur, This nur expands the chest and it causes the heart to be delighted. And if it's the case that this nur is lost, from the heart of the slave, then the heart it becomes tight and restrained. The heart it becomes the most confined prison and the most difficult prison. So Sheikh Aman al Muhammad Aman al Jami he says, "Qad yakunu fi ma yabdu lil nas fi naim, fi raha, lakin fi ma bayna hu wa bayna Allah." إذا فقد ذلك النور ضاق ضاق صدره. People might see this person to be in a state of relaxation, to be in a state of ease. However, as far as the relationship that exists between him, that human being, between him and Allah, then he is in a state of tightness. And constraint, a feeling of being uh, constrained. When this nur of iman departs from your heart, 
when this nur of iman is absent from your heart, then that is when the tightness is brought about. So this that we're talking about, a person being in a state of tightness and confinement and repression, unrelaxation, this is as far as his relationship between him and his Rabb is concerned. However, However, you might see a person he is living a very comfortable life he is living a life of luxury you might find a person an enemy from the enemies of Allah a disbeliever in Allah he has luxuries of life however that luxury it is not a mi'yar it is not a yardstick, a measuring tool by which you can measure and determine the relaxation, the comfort that a person has in his chest and in his heart. I.e. A person living a life of affluence, of prosperity, of luxury. A person living a life of abundance. Everything is ample. No problems in his life. He has a nice house. All his bills are paid for. He has a nice car. Whenever his car breaks down, there's a new car that's sent in replacement doesn't have to have any type of dunyawi problem. This type of person in reality, we don't say that he's living a nice life. We don't say that he's living a life of comfort in reality. Why? Because comfort and relaxation, the mi'yar for it, the yardstick, the measuring tool by which it is determined, isn't these things. These things are given to the enemies of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Enemies of Allah jalla wa'az, they have dunya. Enemies of Allah, those that disbelieve in him and say about him whatever comes to their mind without any fear, Allah gives them beautiful houses in our cities. Allah gives them nice lifestyle, a nice career. And in spite of that, their hearts, their chest, they are still tight. Then Ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullah ta'ala, he makes a mention of a hadith recorded in Imam uh, the Sunan of Imam Tirmidhi. The hadith, إِذَا دَخَلَ نُورَ الْقَلْبِ إِنْ فَسَحَ وَانْشَرَحَ Ibn uh, Imam Tirmidhi, he reports from the Messenger of Allah alayhi salatu wasalam that he said, if nur enters into the heart, it, be, it, uh, it widens and it becomes alleviated. And so the companions, they said, What's the sign of that, O Messenger of Allah? What's the sign of a person's heart becoming alleviated and expanded and widened? So 
So the Messenger of Allah, he said, the sign of nur having entered into your heart and thus relaxed your heart, widened your heart, expanded your heart, the sign of that having occurred to you is making inava, recoursing and returning back to the abode of eternity. What's the abode of eternity? What's Darul Khulud? The abode of eternity. Jannah. Al-inabah ila daril khulud. Returning back to the, to the abode of eternity. Wat-tajafi an daril ghurur. And shunning away, withdrawing away from the abode of ghurur, from the abode of delusion. What's the darul ghurur? What's the abode of delusion, the abode of guru, delusion? This dunya. Third thing that the third thing that is mentioned in this report that is attributed to the messenger. Well And preparing for death before it descends, before it arrives, before you die. So Sheikh Muhammad Aman al-Jami, he says at this point, <coughs> he says concerning this narration, this narration, however, Sheikh uh, Muhammad Nasruddin al-Albani, he has declared it to be uh, inauthentic. But no doubt the content of this is something that is no doubt correct. <coughs> but the, uh, the narration itself is inauthentic, as has been mentioned by Sheikh Muhammad Nasruddin al-Albani in Silsilat al-Ahadith al-Dhaifa. طيب فالشيخ محمد امان الجامي يقول قال الانابه الى دار الخلود هذه العلامه التي يعرف بها الانسان اذا رايت الانسان ذا انابه وتوجه واكثار من التوبه واقبال على الله والتجافي عن دار الغرور وان متع الحياه لا تضره لانها دار الغرور ياخذ منها زادا لاخرته ما ما يحصل له من متاع الدنيا يستعمله زادا لاخرته ما يحصل له من متاع الدنيا يستعمله زادا لآخرته شيخ محمد أمان الجامي he says that when the companions they said in this narration what is the sign of a person having nur in his heart people they say brother my heart it's got nur inside it Mawlana so and so Sheikh so and so I know his heart it's got nur inside of it what is the sign of nur being inside a person's heart. Al-inabah ila darul khulud. Returning back to the darul khulud. Returning back to the abode of eternity. How do you return back to the abode of eternity? With inabah. Returning back, i.e. returning back in repentance to Allah. Focusing upon the akhirah. Focusing upon the afterlife. Increasing in abundance of making tawbah to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And advancing towards Allah Jalla wa'az. That is inabah ila daril khulud. Daril khulud. Returning back to the abode of eternity, i.e. racing back to the afterlife, having that to be your focus. Repenting to Allah subhanahu. Making tawbah to Him azza wa jal. Advancing towards Him, getting close to Allah. Getting close to your Lord. tajafi an daril ghurur. And shunning away. Withdrawing away. And turning away 
and being averse and loathing the abode of ghurur, loathing this dunya, shunning away this dunya. That's a sign that's in your heart that Allah has put nur in there. Allah has put light of iman in your heart. And that the world, Shaykh Muhammad Amman al-Jami says that this world, the person, he doesn't have an attitude whereby he, the, the, the world, the luxuries of the world, the comforts of the world, that they can harm him, i.e. not having those comforts will be of any harm to you. Why? Because this world is a world of delusion. A person, what, how does he treat this world? What's the attitude that he has? He takes the provisions that he needs from this world for the next world, for the afterlife. Whatever he attains of comfort, of commodities, of this dunya, he just uses it. He utilizes it as a provision for the akhirah. وعن اتباعي وعن اتباعي نبيه عليه الصلاة والسلام. The person does not become deceived by the dunya. The person doesn't allow the dunya to divert him and preoccupy him from worshiping Allah, from obeying Allah, from following the Messenger Muhammad ibn Abdullah عليه الصلاة والسلام. The dunya, yes, it has a degree. Of a person uses the dunya in order to get to the afterlife. So a person uses the dunya. He doesn't absolutely, totally, 100% cut off from it. And thus he doesn't eat. He doesn't drink. He doesn't sleep. He doesn't marry. He doesn't earn a living. And thus he puts food, bread on the table for the, for the family. No. But he uses whatever he attains of the dunya in order to get to the afterlife. However, he doesn't consider the dunya to have any value. The dunya has no value. So therefore, if somebody was to come and say, there needs to be a balance. See many people, they say, brother, there needs to be a balance, you know. You know, at the end of the day, yes, paradise, that's our final abode. That's our inevitable resting place. There needs to be a balance, brother. So this thing that you're saying to me of leaving off the mortgage that I'm involved in and the interest that I'm paying, there has to be a balance. We, we all, we all got to live. We all have to have a, a roof over our head. That's from the dururiyat. That's from the necessities of a human being. You have to have a roof over your head. Yes, you have to have a roof over your head. Uh, it doesn't mean, though, however, that you disobey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for that dunya we matter. So yes, there is a balance, but the, the mi'yar and the yardstick by which the balance is determined are the nusus, are the texts in the Qur'an and the Sunnah, are the salaf themselves, are the companions themselves. So we look and we see how much importance did they give to the dunya. The dunya, if anybody says to you that the dunya, it has some value. Otherwise, why did Allah put us here? You find some of them saying, Muslims, you'll find them saying, why did Allah put us here then? If the dunya doesn't have any value, it's as though they are copying and imitating the very same statement that you find certain Christians, Christians and people from Ahl Kitab saying. Christians, they ascribe themselves to religion, ascribe themselves to, to, to Allah, to worshipping Allah. Yeah, you find them saying that, you know, if God, if 
this world didn't have any significance, so why did God put us here? The dunya has no significance. And Ibn al-Qayyim, he makes a mention of the fact that the Qur'an, it's filled. It's filled with scorning the dunya, with rebuking the dunya, and loathing the dunya, and mentioning the dunya with no value. He says in Madarij al-Salikin, وَالْقُرْآنَ مَمْلُوءٌ مِنَ التَّزَهُدْ وَمِنَ التَّزْهِيدِ فِي الدُّنْيَا وَالْإِخْبَارِ بِخِسَّتِهَا وَقِلَّتِهَا وَانْقِطَاعِهَا وَسُرْعَةِ فَنَائِهَا The Qur'an is filled. It's filled with encouraging to have, to be abstinent from the dunya. Informing us of the lowly value of this dunya. The insignificance of the dunya. And that it's going to dwindle away very quickly. And that it's going to vanish very quickly. The Quran, it's filled with encouraging us with the Akhirah and telling us of the nobility of the Akhirah. And that the Akhirah, it's permanent and continuous and forever. فَإِذَا أَرَادَ اللَّهُ بِعَبْدٍ خَيْرًا مَاذَا فَعَلَى If Allah, He wants khair for a person, what does He do? فَإِذَا أَرَادَ اللَّهُ بِعَبْدٍ خَيْرًا أَقَامَ فِي قَلْبِهِ شَاهِدًا يُعَيْنُ بِهِ حَقِيقَةَ الدُّنْيَا وَالْآخِرَةَ وَيُؤْثِرُ مِنْهُمَا مَا هُوَ أَوْلَى بِالْإِيثَارِ If Allah, He wants good for you, what does He do? He places a shahid inside of your heart. If Allah, He wants good for you, He puts a witness in your heart. And via that witness, by way of that witness, you're able to see, you're able to examine, you're able to scrutinize the reality of this life and the reality of the Akhirah. And thus, as a result of that scrutinization and that examination, you end up giving preference to the thing that deserves a greater degree of preference. The dunya, it is nothing. And it has no value in any way, shape or form. The wise person and the shrewd, the clever person is not the person. We say that the one who is, who has fatina with him, who has shrewdness with him, he's sharp. We say he's the person who seizes a business opportunity before everybody else seizes it. So when it was the case that they were building those apartments in Dubai, and apartments were going for 15,000 pounds. What were we saying? We were saying that that person, he was shrewd, he was wise, he was clever. He had a good head on him. The one who purchased those apartments in Dubai, when they were going for 15,000 pounds, why? Because now they're going for whatever, 100,000, 150,000. Sharp guy he was. He had shrewdness with him. The person who's observing a business which had gone public, a business that had, got, that had gone public, its shares had gone public. He was looking at the business and he knew, even though right now, people are not valuing it. It's undervalued. But I know that in a year's time, two years' time, the shares, the prices are going to go up. So we say that he had fitma with him. He was shrewd, he was clever, he was sharp. So he purchased those shares. Five years later, he became a millionaire. But the one who is really shrewd are the people that do what? They have a certain attitude towards the whole life in general. And Imam al-Nawawi, in his book, Riyadh al-Salihin, in the Muqaddimah, in the uh, introduction of this book, Riyadh al-Salihin, in the introduction, after praising Allah, and 
sending Salahu Salam upon the Messenger. He then he makes a mention about the purpose of our life, what the life is about, and that it is to worship Allah, and that should be our should be at the forefront of our mind. Then he makes a mention of the dunya, therefore, and that the dunya, therefore, doesn't really have much value, what the dunya really is. And then he mentions certain lines of poetry about the dunya and about the reality of the dunya and about who the real clever people are. The clever people aren't those people. Trust me, those people that are at the high, يعني, they have the, the, the multi-billionaires, what do you call them? The movers and the shakers of the century that we live in. They are not, by way of that, the most shrewdest and the most wisest of people. By way of them, by way of them being the movers and the shakers, they are not the wisest and the shrewdest and the cleverest of people. They could be if that dunyawi attainment that they have is coupled with something else, coupled with a another attitude. And what is that attitude? Imam Anawi he mentions in his Riyadh Salihin in the Muqaddimah some lines of poetry that he quotes. He says, Inna lillahi ibadan futana. To Allah belongs slaves that are shrewd, clever. Who are they though? And what is their characteristic? What's their attitude? What's the thing that's made them clever and shrewd and wise? Inna lillahi ibadan futana. And then he tells us. They literally detached, divorced the dunya. They divorced the dunya. Detached from the dunya. While fearing the fitan of the dunya. They divorced the dunya. They detached away from the dunya. While fearing. They were scared. Faded. They were scared of the fitna of the dunya, the temptations of the dunya. He then says, These wise, intelligent people, they peeked inside the dunya. They had a look inside of the dunya. What's going on here? What's this dunya about? They looked inside of it. But when they came to know that the dunya is not for the hay. Who's hay? What do you describe as being hay? Living, alive. The dunya is not for the alive person. The living person, a watan. These people, they were shrewd, they were clever. They divorced the dunya and they feared its temptations. They looked inside the dunya, but when they came to know, watana, that the dunya is not for the living place, living person, a watan, a homeland. This land, this earth, where we live, where we were born, where we were raised, where we will die, this dunya, regardless of where you are, whether you're in Europe, 
whether you're in the Middle East, whether you're on the North Pole, whether you're in, in Antarctica, regardless of where you are. This dunya is not for the living person, a place that is a, that is a homeland for him. So when these wise and shrewd and clever people, when they came to know and realize that the dunya, it's not a homeland, it's not my homeland, because I'm an alive person, I'm a real person, I'm living, I'm alive. And because I'm alive, and because I am living, then I realize the dunya, it's not my homeland. What did they do? They ended up considering and deeming and believing and seeing and thinking of the dunya to be nothing other than a lujjah. This dunya that I'm in, my house, my family, my car, my job, my bank account, what people think of me. All of these things, all of that, all of that put together, it's nothing other than a lujjah, an ocean. They consider the dunya as nothing other than an, an ocean. The whole dunya, the money, all of it, the job, the career, future, all of that, it's an ocean. It's nothing but an ocean. sufuna. And they took their righteous deeds within the dunya as ships. I.e. ships by which they sail on this ocean, sail in this dunya, then exit into the afterlife. Nothing. My righteous actions, that is what I need. My righteous actions, that is what I need in order to survive. My righteous actions, that is what I need in order to succeed. My righteous actions, that is what I need in order to be clever, to be shrewd. Not follow anybody and everybody, what everybody else says. No. My righteous actions, that is what I need in order to survive. So they took their righteous actions as vehicles by which they get through the ocean of this world. Concerning this, Ibn Qayyim, he says in his book, Uddat al-Sabirin, about this matter. He says in his book, Uddat al-Sabirin, Al-Mithal al-Sabi'ashar, 17th example. He cites an example, several examples about the reality of the dunya and what the dunya is and what its reality is and examples that make that vivid and clear to us. So from the examples that he makes a mention of, Al-Mithal al-Sabi'ashar, مثل الإنسان مثل الإنسان فيها ومثل ماله وعمله وعشيرته مثل الرجل له ثلاثة إخوة فقضي له سفر بعيد طويل لا بد له منه. The example of a person in this life and the example of his wealth and his deeds, whether good or evil. And the example of his family is like the example of a man who has three brothers. Now this man, it's become inevitable. He has no choice. He has no alternative except to journey, to go on a journey to a faraway place. فَدَعَا إِخْوَتَهُ وَالثَّلَاثَةَ وَقَالَ 
قد حذر ما ترون من هذا السفر واحوج ما كنت اليكم الان this man he calls his three brothers and he says now as you can see this inevitable inescapable journey that i need to go on has arrived i've got no choice but to go on this journey this is now the point that i have been most in need of you never have i been in need of you as much as i have been in need of you now so then what do these three brothers of his say فقال احدهم انا كنت اخاك الى هذه الحال ومن الان فلست لك باخ ولا صاحب وما عندي غير هذا your brother he now says to you you're now going on a journey you've got no choice but to go on this journey you need help on this journey you're demanding you're asking you're requesting you're begging for help on this journey that you have no choice but to go on what's this journey by the way what's this journey that he is talking about what's it um yani illustrating what's it um, representing what's it is it moat death okay <clears throat> when death comes knocking at your door well does it come knocking at your door doesn't come knocking at your door it comes it opens the door itself it comes and it takes you doesn't come knocking at your door so death you don't really have a choice when it comes to you it's inevitable it's inescapable you can't run away from it so now death has come he asked these three brothers and these three brothers are in reality manifestations of three other things he asked them i need your help the first one he says to them he says to him I was your brother up until now up until this point but from now onwards I'm not a brother for you I'm not a friend for you and I've got nothing to offer you other than that I was a friend of yours I was a brother of yours I was your companion up until now but from now you're not going to get anything from me and I'm going to I'm going to offer you nothing other than what I've just said right now فقال له لم تغني عني شيئا So now you end up saying to this brother of yours you've been of no avail to me you've been of no use to me in any way shape or form فقال للاخر ما عندك فقال كنت اخاك وصاحبك الى الان وانا معك حتى اجهز حتى اجهزك الى سفرك وتركب راحلتك ومن هناك لست لك بصاحب So now you turn to your second brother and you say to him what about you what do you have to offer are you going to help me are you going to accompany me so the second brother he says to him i was with you or i was your brother and i was your companion up until now and i'm going to be with you up until i have prepared you got you ready for your journey and up until you've mounted your vehicle But then from that point onwards after I've prepared you after I've mounted you on your vehicle and I bid you farewell from that point onwards then I am no longer a friend a companion for you فَقَالَ لَهُ أَنَا مُحْتَاجٌ إِلَى إِلَى مُرَافَقَتِكَ فِي مَسِيرِي You say to him but brother I'm in need of your companionship on the journey that I'm going to be going on death 
is going to be a journey for me. And I need a companion. I need some companionship. I need your companionship while I am on the journey after death. After I die, I'm still going to be on a journey. So I need your companionship. So what does your brother say to you? La sabila laka ila dhalika. There's no way that you're going to get that. Faqala, lam tughni anni shay'a. So then you say to your brother, you've been of no use to me. Faqala lithalith, ma indaka anta. So then you say to your third brother, what about you? What, what have you got? Faqal, so the third brother he says to you, Kuntu sahibaka fi sihatika wa maradika wa ana sahibuka al-an wa sahibuka idha rakibta wa sahibaka fi masirika fa in sirta sirtu ma'ak wa in nazalta nazaltu ma'ak wa idha wasalta ila baladika kuntu sahibaka fiha la ufariquka abadan This third brother of yours when you pose this request of him helping you on this inescapable journey of yours, i.e. death, what does he say to you? He says, I was with you, I was your companion in sickness and in health. So if you go, if you go on a journey, I'm going to go with you. If you dismount and disembark from your vehicle, I will disembark with you. When you reach your land, when you reach your destination, I'm going to accompany you there also. I'm never ever going to leave you. فَقَالَ إِن كُنْتَ إِن كُنْتَ إِن كُنْتَ لَأَهْوَنَ الْأَصْحَابِ عَلَيَّ وَكُنْتُ أُوثِرُ عَلَيْكَ صَاحِبَيْكَ فَلَيْتَنِي عَرَفْتُ حَقَّكَ وَآثَرْتُكَ عَلَيْهِمَا So when this third brother of yours says this to you, you say to him, you used to be the most insignificant of all of my companions to me. Out of all of my brothers and my companions, you are the one that I least gave any form of significance and importance to. And I used to give preference and precedence to my other two brothers over you. But I wish, if only I had given you your true and deserved right. And if only I had preferred you over your two other brothers. The first example, so we said that this person is going on an inescapable journey, i.e. he's dying now. Three brothers come to him, i.e. three things. What's the first brother a representation of? The one that says that I was with you up until this point right now. After this, I've got nothing, I've got nothing to do with you. Wealth, your wealth, your houses, your degrees, your careers. Your respect that you want to attain. Tafakhud, boasting between each other. You know what? My son, he's, uh, he's studying in such and such a uh, school. You know? What about your son? Where's he studying? That tafakhud, that boasting. You know, uh, lately I've, I've purchased a uh, uh, Bugatti, for example. What have you purchased, for example? I don't think anybody here has a Bugatti. But your mal, the tafakhud that you make concerning it, that's dunya. That's part of the dunya. Tafakhud. Boasting, what have you got? I've got this. I'm better than you at this. That's dunya. All of that, it's with you right now. And it gives you a great boost of self-esteem. However, all of that self-esteem and all of that boost is going to stop once Malak al-Maut comes to you. 
at that point, it's going to leave you. It's not, it's not going to accompany you. Second brother, what's he a personification of? The one that says that I was with you up until now and I'm also going to prepare you. Your family. I'm going to prepare you. I'm going to get you ready. I'm going to put you on your vehicle. Your family does that for you, doesn't, don't they, most of the time? Your family, they are the ones that when you die, if your eyes are open, they will close your eyes for you. When you die, your family, they will take you from the mortuary once they have received your body. If your body was in a mortuary, they will take it to the place where they wash the body. And your family, they will wash the body for you. Your brother, your cousin, your son most likely, will be washing father's body, washing his legs, washing your Washing your hair, your dead head, and your dead body. Your son will be doing that for you. So he'll be preparing you. He's still with you. After you've died now, you're gone. You're on your journey. But your son, Yujahizuka, he's preparing you. Your cousin, he's preparing you. Your brother, he's preparing you. Your uncle, he's still with you. Now they take you to the graveyard. They put the coffin around you. They wrap you around with the sheet. Now they bury you inside the ground. They didn't just leave you lying on the ground for vermins and animals to come and feed off your body. No. They had some respect for you. So they put you in the ground and they covered you with soil. But after that, is it the case that mother and father and your brother and your sisters come into your grave with you? They don't come to you. Gone! Finished! And perhaps you might not ever, ever see them ever again. Perhaps that time when you saw them, when Malak al was coming and they were around you, that's the last time that you saw your son. Last time when you saw your mother. Last time when you saw your children, your parents and whoever they may be. Why? Because it could be the case. That one of you is not going to go to Jannah ever. It could be the case that one of you is from Ashab al-Nar Khalidina fiha abada. It could be the case that one of you is a, is a resident of the fire of hell being in there for eternity, never coming out. So it could be the case that that family member of yours, you saw him, but now your destination is Jahannam and forever you're going to be in there, never ever you're going to see them, ever, ever again. But they'll be there for you. They'll accompany you towards the graveyard, put you in the grave, but never after that do they see you. But the thing that will be with you Forever and ever and ever never leave you is what? A'mal, your deeds. Deeds will never leave you. This majlis that you're doing, this julus that you're doing right now, you're sitting down right now. If you're sitting down, lillah, sitting down for the sake of Allah, that deed is going to be with you forever and ever and ever. Listening right now, if you're listening to some ilm, if you're doing that, Lillah, for Allah, that deed is going to stay with you, stick with you forever and ever and ever. Every single deed that you've done, if you did it, Lillahi, Muwafiqan bi Sunnah, in accordance to the Sunnah, never ever will it leave you. Likewise, the one who commits shirk, Billahi al-Azim, kufr bi-Rabbil alamin he disbelieves in Arham al-Rahimin, the most merciful of those who show mercy. That kufr and shirk with him, he will remain with him forever and ever and ever. And the evil deeds that you 
engaged in even if it's the case that you don't end up in hellfire forever or you're not punished in the grave up until yawm al-qiyamah even if it's for a temporary period of time but those deeds if if it's the case that Allah as a result of that still punishes you then those deeds are still going to be with you in your grave up until Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he shows mercy and he removes you from that punishment that you're in but that deed of yours it's going to stay with you if Allah didn't forgive it from you in the life of this world so the point of this the point of all of this is that the dunya it's not a mi'yar it is not a yardstick by which you can determine a person living in comfort or not it's not a mi'yar at all it's not a yardstick and a measuring tool at all rather the mi'yar is that nur of iman being inside of your heart thereafter Shaykh Muhammad Amman al-Jami makes uh, some brief commentary upon it وَالْإِسْتِعْدَادِ لِلْمَوْتِ Preparing for death and making muhasaba uh, of the nafs taking the soul to account but I think we've overgone the time already so inshallah ta'ala we shall go over that next week so unless anything needs to be clarified or repeated then we shall stop there طيب والله تعالى أعلم وصلى الله على محمد والحمد لله رب